0: Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the Fateful and for the Fateful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here tonight with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce.
1: Hey, David. How are you doing tonight or today? Good,
0: good, good, good. It was, uh, it was a very uh, hard-fought hockey game. The Edmonton Oilers win 2-1 to one in regulation time over the Kraken of Seattle. Bruce? Um, the grade A shots in this game were 17 to 10 for Seattle,
1: uh-huh.
0: with the subset of five alarm shots, seven to three for Seattle. So we're going to get into that. Bruce, this is our two good things, two bad things, and two numbers podcast with one conundrum tacked onto the end. We'll go with two good things each because it was a pretty big win for the Oilers, three in a row now. Uh, three hard fought wins in a row, yeah, against um tough teams. Uh, tough teams. That's a good way to put it. And um, yeah, we'll go with two good things each. Okay, what's your first good thing?
1: Yeah, uh, well, I'm gonna go with the Oilers goal that opened the scoring by um, go, by Leon Drysidel on a uh, give and go play with uh, Connor McDavid who else uh, but I'm actually going to go all the way back this was a face-off play in Edmonton's territory and first of all McDavid it looked like and there was never a really clean angle but it looked like he made a defensive play beside the net to clear a puck out of dangerous spot and anyway it went to the end wall and he absolutely overpowered number 52 Cartier uh, Ty Cartier for uh um, Seattle. and he just took command of the puck and charged out of the zone, leaving Cartier in his in his um, exhaust fumes. Uh, but it was the play started because he wanted and got the puck in the defensive zone. And then from there he took it up, uh, fed dry saddle, dry saddle, tried to feed it far side to the D man who I think was Kulak. And it bounced, uh, was deflected away from Kulak to McDavid, which is probably not very good fortune from Seattle's point of view. And McDavid then uh, uh, slipped a pass back across to Dreisaitl in the uh, low face-off spot where he loves to bury shots, and he buried the shot. And it was like 10 minutes into the second period, and finally the breakthrough. This was a game where it seemed like whoever scored first was going to, be in good position, and eventually it turned out that way, barely.
0: It seemed like if the Oilers didn't score first, to me, they were going to lose mm-hmm. because Seattle was on their game and playing they well. They were. They played well. As evidenced by the 17 to 10 grade A shots. I mean, mm-hmm. I just thought the only way i going to win is if they get the lead because Seattle is here to win. There, Seattle was one of those... We've talked before, desperate. I've talked before about these desperate teams. The owners aren't playing yep. necessarily the top teams in the league, but they're playing all these teams that are they're on their last chance, gas. They've gotta go on a winning streak if they're gonna make the playoffs. So it's teams mm-hmm. like Calgary, St. Louis, Seattle, uh, Minnesota. And they're all these are all really difficult games because of that. They're, these guys are absolutely cranked it up to playoff intensity because if there's no playoffs for them, Surprise. if they don't win in the next 5, 10 games, it's, it's yeah. now. Because the trade deadline's coming, and these teams will be dismantled as well. Um, possibly, maybe. Um, they will be if it's if it's evident. Like They'll be looking at tr- trading away their um, players on expiring contracts. Um, to get something without losing them. Because they can always, like, even if it's a UFA, they can sign them. For, for instance, Seattle has Alexander Wenberg and Jordan Eberle on expiring mm-hmm. contracts. And if you're not going to make the plus, why not trade both of them? Um, Justin Schultz, same thing, a right-shot defenseman. Um, can move the puck.
1: Hmm.
0: Never, I had not thought of, I haven't heard his name at all. Nope. But, um... That's an interesting name. I don't know if he'd be at all of interest to the Oilers, but he can move the puck. (laughs) Can you imagine Justin Schultz and Evan Bouchard on the same blue line? Some people's heads would explode, like the people who love heavy hockey. (laughs) Anyway. um, Bruce, I'll go with Stuart Skinner as my good thing. He he, he stole this game for the Oilers. It's Mm -hmm. fair to say. Um, He was strong. Through the game, he made a number of big saves, but it was in the last minute of the game. He makes three (laughs) saves in the last minute of the game. Um, The first one was probably the simplest. It was off the faceoff. It was an outside one-timer by Mm -hmm. Tolvanen, but there's really no outside shot with Eli Tolvanen. He fires that puck. He hammers it, and he got got all of it on that shot. It was a very difficult save to make. He, I think it was, was that the toe save? I think he got it. He just barely got it, Skinner did. It was yeah. such a hard shot.
1: Yeah, it then, was perfectly placed, I mean, for a low shot. It was right yeah. inside the far post off the one-timer. Skinner had to flash out the pad.
0: What a save. And then 26 seconds left in the game, he does it again. Tovins, <sighs> he's even in closer this time, and he hammers the puck at net. It wasn't quite as well-placed The shot but it was closer and just as hard, and it was a hell of a shot. And then with uh, six seconds left, um, there's an outside shot. The puck bounces to Jordan Eberle at the side of the net, and he has a wide open shot, and Skinner just flashes over and makes an incredible save on Jordan Eberle. It was a a miracle save. So um, hell of a game from Stuart Skinner, and just when... You know there's some people grumbling about ken holland ken holland was talking to daniel nugent bowman of the athletic in an interview and, and he and he was asked if the orders are looking at acquiring a goalie and holland made it clear no they're not they're not even looking right now they're not looking at that market they think they're covered
1: think they got their goalie
0: they think they got their goalie you know he won the calder he's a finalist for the calder last year um uh-huh. he's put together a pretty good string of games this year and Calvin Pickard has been now I'm not saying that I wouldn't mind a backup goalie but I just think there's there's obviously some other needs on this team that are bigger bigger than um, goalie right now and Skinner will will have done something to calm the jittery out there now who knows how it's going to turn out in the playoffs we don't know but right now I think this is the correct call based on the last few seasons of work Skinner's relative youth um he's coming his his digging himself out of a dark deep hole uh from earlier this year and doing it again just now i'm i'm mm-hmm. okay with them going with Stu skinner as your starting goalie in the plus i'm not sure if you you know you might need two goalies to win
1: maybe and maybe. they have cho- they have choices uh, the thing is, there's no obvious goalie out there. They're not going to get marks from, right? No. There's no obvious goalie well, out it. there that's going to be uh, an improvement uh, on the Oilers' backup goalie situation. And you go out and you spend your assets and your cap space trying to work on your backup goalie situation. You may even never even need the guy. you got other holes that, you know, are are going to be there every game. Right, where yeah. the backup goalie is more, you know, a plan B at the best of times. You know, hopefully you don't need them, And, and if you do need them, you're probably in big trouble no matter what. So, you know, that if you got three or four different problems to solve, maybe that isn't the, the most pressing one. I mean, you're rolling the dice, but you're rolling your dice with your goalie no matter who it is. You know, I mean, that's goaltending is, as they say, a voodoo. Uh, But uh, Stu's had the answers this week, you know, and they got four goals for him on uh, on, uh, uh, Tuesday and three goals for him on Thursday, two in regulation. Just two goals for him today, and he walked away with three wins.
0: 904 save percentage. I don't know if that includes tonight's game. This is from NHL.com, and they're notoriously slow for Mm updating. 904 save percentage in 40. Three games for Stuart Skinner. Pickard's at nine oh five in eleven games. A lot of games so far for Skinner. He won't be playing tomorrow. You see, you see, Soros, who's mentioned, is at now at nine oh seven. He's he's gotten yeah. his game together. Yep. Um, but and Nationals in the hunt. They're in the playoffs. Like a lot of people are <laughs> hungering for Saras or Alexander Carrier. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's possible a playoff team will trade away players. It's a, I, I think I can remember that happening. Once. Well,
1: Nashville traded Nashville traded Ekholm ah, last year. that's right. And they actually, were, they, you know, they were in the the hunt uh, at that time. And uh, anyway, they uh, uh, so it does happen. I mean, Calgary just traded uh, one of their top four defensemen. and They're a ninth place on a four game winning streak, and it's like they well, whatever. So, uh, I don't think it's a never, bad decision, you never know, though. but yeah. I I think it's a questionable decision if you're, you know, just making the playoffs and getting those skates, you know. If I'm the owner, owner, I'm kind of having a side eye look at the GM. (laughs) Trading, you know, away rental players that you could rent for yourself simply by holding on to your cards. Yeah. Anyway. depends uh, what
0: your goal is. Do you want to win the Stanley Cup or do you want to make the playoffs in eighth place and go out in the first round? I mean – I think it's a good move if you're the GM, if you can convince the owner to do it. If you're yeah. it's highly unlikely Nashville's winning the look at the how many great teams there are in the Western Conference this, this year. So about four or five really, really good teams. They're not getting by mm-hmm. all those teams, Nashville. Mm-hmm. Calgary isn't either. So I would I, I, I think they should be making these moves and I think it's smart to do
1: it. And okay. well, but I'm not how, the owner. Look how good Seattle is, and they're sixth in the Pacific. And they just played a whale of a game. You know, like there are a lot of good teams and there's uh, not too many gimme games.
0: There is not. Um, What's your second good thing, Bruce?
1: Yeah, I'm going to uh, reference the exact same sequence (laughs) that you just did. Uh, The last 53 seconds with the Oilers uh, down, basically two men, uh, 4v6. And, uh... I'm going to single out uh, Vincent Deharney, who with Matthias Eckholm was given the the chore of closing out the game. And I thought Deharney had a wonderful last shift. Uh, he blocked two hard shots from outside. Uh, and then in the dying seconds, and I, I will correct slightly w- what you said earlier the Everly chance was the middle one of the three. And oh, yeah, I had I the first yeah. and the last. And after the the Tolvanen shot, and Stewart, uh kicked out the rebound. And uh, uh, De Harney, uh, uh went down to get a stick on the puck and clear it in the corner. And then he, he kept his position on the ice to block the pass that came back out from the corner to the front of the net where it had to go. And he, he covered that pass, and he took probably one or two spears as he was trying to freeze the puck with, you know, the clock ticking down and the dying single-digit seconds. You know, by this time, you're looking at the tenths of seconds, hoping the damn thing will run out. And uh, uh, he was, uh, I I just thought, rock solid through that that whole sequence. A little bit unlucky maybe on the Everly chance that he blocked the shot and then the rebound dropped and Yamamoto kicked it over to... uh, uh, Everly, Scramble. Yeah. and uh, Everly got the great shot, but uh, you know four against six, what are you going to do? Anyway, he got it. Kept getting in the lanes, blocking shots, blocking passes, and then ultimately blocking possession simply by sort of laying on the puck and taking away the slot. And he he was hurt hurt his hand on the first of those shot blocks, so he was sort of nursing some pain the whole time, and he was just paying the price for his team to win. He paid that price and they won.
0: Bruce, um, my second good thing is also from the defensive core. Mm-hmm. And it's a couple of players that um, I criticized recently on the podcast and it and in a blog post. Not that I don't like both players, I like both Cody Ceci and Darnell have over the years said many good things about them. Um, but they have been in a terrible defensive slump in February if you want to dig into it again, you can go look at the post that I wrote on it, um, where we're looking at the Oilers trade options and and the fans, Oilers fans. If we did a cult hockey poll on uh, X, and it's pretty clear that the um, more than I think it was fifty four percent of the fans thought out of four options that a top four D man is what the Oilers need to get in a trade. Mm-hmm. So this is, it was the runaway winner in terms of what the team needs right now. So people are seeing how Nurse and CeCe are playing. Um, they saw how CC played last year, which was not great, because partly because he was injured. He was a lot better for the first four months this year, but he's been in a terrible slump in the last month. Tonight, though, I thought he and Nurse had a really strong game. Now they both it wasn't a perfect game it never is if you're a defenseman you're always going to make mistakes and there's going to be chances against but at even strength both of them only made one that led to a great a shot against which which is pretty darn good because that team was Seattle that Seattle team was determined it was coming at the Oilers but I thought Nurse and CC played a solid game on defense there was a for for Nurse one blemish in the third period the only goal against where um a shot went or a pass shot went off nurse into the net he played that almost perfectly it was just fluke could that, that happen that can happen to any player um it does tend to happen to nurse a little bit more than most players but it's often because he's the in that position where he he's countered on at the last line of defense to make the play but both he and and CeCe had a re- they, they played hard they played well they were smart positionally they weren't taking chances they didn't get caught out they didn't make mental errors um which led to um major mistakes and or grade a shots or goals against they um so i i i like their game and it's i wouldn't be surprised like if the orders are unable to get it make a trade for a defenseman and they have to go a cc and nurse this isn't the end of the world they could crank it up in the playoffs and get it done like i i still that's a that's a definite possibility maybe they'll maybe they won't get it done like they haven't the last couple of years they have Struggled in the playoffs against the really really tough competition, but if both of them are healthy, reasonably healthy, um, like they are right now, I think um, they can get they can still get the job done, and they did so tonight.
1: I got a great big snowshoe hare sitting on my lawn. That's why I'm looking out. Is it the white? Of... <laughs> Is it white? Yep. Black tips of his ears. Anyway, uh, yeah. Uh, I like Nurse's game tonight. And, of course, he got burned on the goal trying to block several options. Like the shooter had one or two guys on the far side to go to. Nurse tried to cover as much space as he could. It hit his his right glove. It was deflecting wide of the net as it went through, but caught the inside of Skinner's left pad. And then, as he kicked it across, caught the inside of his right skate and went in. So it took three bounces off of two Oilers on its way into the net, the one that did get through uh, for Seattle in this game. Uh, but I liked a lot of strong plays that Darnell made in this game, protecting the puck and protecting it under pressure in his own zone. Like there was one play early where he he made a good play just to get the puck, and there was two guys all over him, and he, and he just uses smart body position positioning and his you know, size, reach, and athletic skill to control the puck and sort of keep his composure under pressure and make a good, safe outlet. Just a subtle little thing, but he was doing those kind of things. Uh, he jumped into the play. I thought three good shots on net. And a fourth that was maybe the best chance that hit just hit the side of the net. It was sort of on the wrong side of the post, but not by much. And A couple of rocket shots, a wrister and, and a one-time slap shot that were real bullets off of his stick today. And I just thought overall a pretty commanding performance from uh, Dr. 2-5. And I bet you can go through Twitter right now and you'll find 10,316 references to the goal that went in and about two to anything else that he did in this game because that's the way that things are rolling for him right now.
0: Yeah. Well, as I say, like that goal is an example of, you know, <laughs> shit, shit happens, right? Like it's, it's it, does. it really was. It happens so to him like, a lot. I mean, let's face it. Does, it, but it does. But I don't he tries there, I didn't to do I a don't he was in position. He tried to make the play and there was a bad bounce. That's That's
1: that some When I get
0: mad at Nurse, it's when he's not in position. And sometimes that mm-hmm. happens, right? Like yes, that's that's been the big issue. Tonight, he just played a safe game. I think when he and CeCe play a safe game, that's when they're at their best. And um, there's nothing wrong with that in a shutdown pairing, just keeping it simple and safe. Keep it simple, keep it safe. All right, Bruce, um, your bad thing.
1: Oh, uh, yeah, uh, I'm going to go with the two penalties that Oilers' uh, veteran forwards took in the last eight minutes of play. Uh, uh, guys that really should know better and especially they should know that the Oilers p- penalty kill is really struggling this last little while. And uh, They were doing real well at five on five. I was feeling pretty confident as the clock when they got the two nothing lead, and the p- puck was down in Seattle's end quite a bit and they were doing quite a few things right, I thought. And then there was a lost face off in the own uh, defensive zone and Nugent Hopkins chased the guy over to the boards and just spun him around a little bit. He took his hand off his stick, though, and he put his hand on the guy. And the refs did what refs do. And they call that when they see, unless it's uh, Patrick Sundquist, of course, in which case they call Evan Bouchard for interference. But, hey.
0: That was a penalty and
1: on uh, this guy, on Nugent. Though it, was- it was a penalty on Nuge, yeah. And it was also a penalty on Dreisaitl. And the last minute when he came off the bench, charging down yeah. in St. Louis' zone, trying to chase down and get the empty net goal. But he did the one thing you absolutely cannot do, take a penalty 200 feet from your own net in the last minute with a one-goal lead. I, mean, I will not I will not uh, criticize his effort on that play, which was terrific, but he overdid it. And again, he took his hand off of his stick and touched the guy on the shoulder and pulled him around Patrick Sundquist style and, except for of course they called Dreisaitl and rightfully so and now you've got the PK that's already been just crushed for one goal having to go four against six and let's just say I'm glad it wasn't a full two minute penalty because I'm not sure they would have got to the end of the two minutes they barely got to the end of the 53 seconds and to me those are you know they're not, they're not errors of of uh, omission or uh, you know being caught out of position they just weren't disciplined enough to keep their hands on their stick you know I mean if Leon if he's forcing that guy and the guy makes a pass and they go up the ice well there's four other Oilers there to deal with it well when he's in the penalty box there's only four Oilers left to deal with everything so that, that was not helpful, and uh, in both cases it wasn't helpful. And that was the closest. Well, the main reason why this game got to be fairly um, woolly. Uh, yes, yes. I said woolly, to my woolly. wife after the after the third period, "This is not the time I'm going to be testing my blood pressure because it's probably pretty <laughs> high at that moment." But uh, uh, they uh, they did uh, manage to. Uh, uh, managed to survive, but just discipline. You know, keep your hands on your sticks and, you know, win the puck battles fair and square. Don't be putting in the extra effort to reach out and spin the guy around because it doesn't help.
0: Yeah, Leon, I think, had the goal. He wanted a goal there, an assist.
1: Yeah, well, Connor yeah, he, slammed it in, but whistle <laughs> was yeah, already he, gone. He <laughs> had that
0: firmly in his head. So the <laughs> offensive players, they... They want to get those points. They want to score. So, I think that's what was flashing in his head at the moment. Might have blinded his uh, blinded his mind.
1: He had a goal and assist. He had the the original Gordie Howe hat trick goal assist penalty, but uh, he lived without that penalty.
0: My bad thing, Bruce, is the start of the game for the Oilers. It, eight minutes into the second period, the Grade A shots were ten to two for Seattle. So, Seattle would wanted this more they wanted this game more and they came out and they they almost took it um with their they were the first to many many pucks they they won the majority of the battles they were all over the Oilers. they were extremely determined they were uh, forcing the play and the Oilers were doing none of those things they hung in there like it wasn't the orders weren't terrible and and, and um but 10 grade a shots usually translates to about two goals against. So the orders could have easily been down two nothing at that point and it would have it would have been a very familiar feeling in this game if that had been the case.
1: Right.
0: So um yeah, it's I think one of the reasons we may see winning streaks for the orders at the end of the year is a weaker schedule, but you get to a certain point in the schedule and and games like these aren't so tough because the other team just isn't going to have this kind of commitment to winning they're not going to have that kind of desperation. So when you're mm-hmm. playing <clears throat> excuse me when you're playing a team which you are ahead of in the standings, mm-hmm. you really have a major advantage of, over them because you're a better team. Right. And you're playing for the playoffs and you're riding high and you're trying, you know, you're you're going good and they're just trying to get out of the season. So I wouldn't be surprised again if we saw I haven't looked at the schedule, but if we did see the orders go on a bit of a rip towards the after the trade deadline, you know, once you get to mid-March and on um, That wouldn't surprise me, but it's going to be hard slogging for a while yet until you get out of these games where these teams are desperate and have some hope of still making it to the playoffs.
1: Yeah. Seattle, like I give all credit to Seattle and, and, it seems like any time that Oilers play these guys, and any time I see them play, they're super aggressive on the forecheck and on the puck, and they're just jumping on pucks, and they're not, you know, they're <laughs> not giving you free passage out of your own zone. And they did a lot of things right. Like I, I didn't think the Oilers played a bad game at all. I thought they survived the pressure pretty well. But I mean, the golding was obviously a huge part of it. But uh, uh, I thought, I thought the oil largely played. A, played a pretty good game and they were maybe not the better team because the other team played a pretty good game too. This I thought this was an excellent hockey game.
0: And you were saying this is what, what is it about the Seattle coach Bruce you were saying? Um,
1: oh yeah. They said it during the broadcast, I mean this is Seattle, Seattle Kraken third year in the NHL. Like they've only been in the league for like two and three quarter years. And they have the head coach with the most longest tenure in the Pacific division. So just in the last three years, all of the other teams in the Pacific Division, all of them have fired the coach (laughs) in under three years. But that is the nature of the beast these days. Well, I guess always was. Coaches have a shelf life of, you know, plus or minus three years. In this case, minus for all of them.
0: Well, it would be interesting to go decade by decade and see what the average game, like the average length of stay for each NHL coach has been. How many games on average each decade because it does seem to me that it's quicker now, but I could be incorrect about that. Maybe it's always been fairly well, fast, but it seems the like the about two six years.
1: they lasted a long time. The coaches yeah. had, you know, tremendous sway. They were like basketball coaches in college, you know, that just kind of, <laughs> yeah. you know, stuck around right. forever, Jack Adams or Punch Imlach or Toe Blake, you know, and they'd last for a decade plus, no problem. But yeah. you don't see, you know, there's John Cooper in the league that's been around that long now with one team, and I, is he the only one, you know, maybe? He's the only one. Yeah. It's been,
0: yeah.
1: been around that long. And,
0: I mean, the coaches themselves last, right? They just go from team yeah, to
1: team. Like, a team they sounds. go from
0: team to team. Yeah. Uh, okay. What is your number, Bruce?
1: Yeah, I'm going to go with this, the uh, six, is it? No, five. Five, count of five hits awarded to the Edmonton Oilers today. And what you would say was a butter soft game, if you took that to heart, I think this guy in Seattle doesn't like to count hits. Uh, the, the game earlier this year, Edmonton had 13, which was a fairly low number in what was, uh, as I recall, a pretty pretty uh, uh, hectic game as well. Uh, so let's go through. Bouchard had one. CeCe had one. Deharnay had one where he really rocked a guy up at the blue line. And only two forwards that had a hit. You never guess in 100 years which two forwards had a hit. Derek Ryan and Ryan Nugent Hopkins were <laughs> the two forwards. And Kane had none. And, and, you know, sort of the, the heavier guys up front, nothing doing under the hits department. David, who usually is good for a couple, he had none. And I'm not even sure that they had none. I'm just saying they had none that were counted. And five hits is just a ridiculously low number in a hockey game. Like typically it's 15 to 20, and some, some games way more than that.
0: And Seattle had what, like 18 or something?
1: Uh, 14. 14. 14 with Brandon Tanev getting four and Yanni Gord having three.
0: Brandon Tanev. Now that'll be a player you might want to trade for. Hmm. So he's, he's not, not a center,
1: right? He's a lefty, and he's yeah. not a center. Uh, Gord is the center. I, I see. Think well, play he was together. a
0: center. Tanev was a center previously.
1: And, uh, yeah, he, he can play the position in my recollection. And Wenberg took 24 of the 50 draws today with one guy, Alex Wenberg. He won 17 out of 24. Had a good game on the dot. Had a good game, period.
0: Tanev has so. two years left on his deal, $3.5 a year.
1: That's a lot for I mean, I see him as a bottom sixer all the way. Good one. Definitely. That is a lot. That's a lot. lot. Half of that is a lot.
0: It is a lot. Yeah,
1: that's a lot. That's too much.
0: All right. Uh, So my number, Bruce, is the Edmonton Oilers are officially at this moment. It might not last the night, but they are in second place in their division right now behind the Vancouver Canucks, only behind in the Pacific. They are in 58 games, the orders have 74 points for a 63.638 points percentage, and the Vegas Golden Knights in 60 games have 73 points for a 0. 0.608 points percentage. So the orders points percentage is quite a bit ahead of Vegas, yes. and they're now Perfect. one point ahead. Wow. First time all year long that the Amazon orders have been ahead of the Vegas Golden Knights. They are now um, with five games in hand, they are only nine points back of the Vancouver Canucks. Bruce, stranger things have happened, and the Canucks have some t- have a tough schedule ahead. I was reading a little bit about it, so.
1: Good. um if only Oilers had won even one of the three games earlier in the season, uh, the, home, yeah. the home game where they badly outplayed Vancouver. Do they play them once more? One more game late in the year in Edmonton. Cool. So, well, yeah, we'll see so what far, happens. It's one nothing. Vegas is playing out Buffalo right now. Yeah. As we record this, and it's one nothing for Buffalo in the first period, so. Oh, maybe it will last. Buffalo can beat them in regulation, Edmonton will be ahead of Vegas at the end of the day.
0: Indeed. Ah, well, they've done it already, so they've got that monkey off their back. They've been so close to doing it for the last, uh-huh month at least it's like six weeks it seems but um, they finally have finally got there Bruce let's move on to our conundrum and it was the, the conundrum tonight is Jordan Everly who was front and center in this game. he looked like the Jordan Everly of uh, his prime. He looked, he was jumping tonight. He was making great plays with the puck. He had all kinds of chances to to score. He was dangerous tonight. So he has been mentioned prominently because outside, like there's two things that are mentioned most. Well, there's actually three things that are mentioned most prominently in the Oilers' needs top line winger or top six winger, top four D man or kind of a third, fourth line centre or forward are the, are the three things. And you hear a lot about the wingers, There's and there's some names that have come up, Gensel, Jake Gensel from Pittsburgh, Pavel Bushnevich from St. Louis, and some people are mentioning Jordan Eberle's name. What do you think, Bruce?
1: Well, I got to look at him. And, you know, I mean, they know the player, they should. I mean, obviously, Ken Holland wasn't... Around when when he was an oiler, uh, but I would say this: don't say we don't want him back because he was an oiler. Uh, he had one poor playoffs here, and he was traded right after. He's been a very good playoff performer since. And even as he ages, he he's 33 now, and he's at the tail end of the contract he signed uh, after his time while he was with the Islanders. Six years, five point five million dollars. Uh, But if Seattle decides they're out of it and they have an expiring contract or two, you know, those might go on the market. And it's pretty standard in those cases for the seller to hang on to half the money. And we found out the other day with the TANF trade that a third party will get involved to take a quarter of the money at not too outrageous of a a cost. Uh, New Jersey... Uh, Got a fourth round pick for, uh, you know, eating the last 20 odd percent of the TANF contract, which was something over a million bucks. Well, in Everly's case, it would be 1.375 and that would leave 1.375, which would make him affordable for Edmonton. And I watched him today with particular interest, partly just because he's an old favourite of mine, and he was hopping. He was making great, he made at least two great passes right across the slot through narrow passing lanes. Uh, There was a play in the first period where uh, he came off off the bench on a line change, he came flying up his off wing with nobody noticing, a great pass came through the slot to him. And Skinner made one of his very best saves of the entire game, a lunging blocker save as Everly tried to deke him on the short side. And it was he who was centering the puck out from behind the net a couple of times. I bet you if we were counting our scoring chances that we scored today, but from a Seattle perspective, it would not surprise me if Everly was involved in 10 of them. It was, it was that kind of a eight for sure, just from ones that sort of Come to mind that uh, he was he was hopping, so I tried to visualize this player with Leon, and I have to say <laughs> it was making my mouth water. You know, that's they're looking for an offensive player who can be you know a, a really good um, contributor to an offensive line, right? And uh, Everly, uh, there was another play today where he just showed his smarts by. He stick-handled the puck, and he he had to stop and handle the puck while the play developed around him, and he waited the exact right number of milliseconds and then slipped the puck through to the guy in the right position. You know, Just the the craftiness of this player, and we as Oilers fans know this well because we watched this guy as an Oiler for seven years. Well, it's been seven years since he left town. I'm saying he's the one. I'm saying he's one they have to look at and consider that – is you know one option if they're looking for a top six winger he's one of the ones that might be available and, and by beating seattle in re- regulation as you say it may be pushing decision time on them as a, as a deadline you know it's days away now
0: there's also that tolvan character <laughs> um he's
1: he's that quite a bit younger. Games, huh? Um, on waivers,
0: huh? Yeah, he's got two points less than Everly this year, Bruce. Everly has 35 points. He's got 33. And um, his contract's 1.4 million. So now he's an RFA after this year.
1: Right, uh, yeah, I doubt uh, that but, they... But be. He, would be,
0: he would be eligible for arbitrations. He's not going to be cheap for Seattle. This is his last year um, in that situation. So you could see the owners, like they couldn't... Daughters couldn't keep him either, but for a rental, Tolvenin might be cheaper than um, Eberly. And because um, you don't have to pay for his contract at all, like you could afford his contract just to pay it. So, anyway, that's another thought on that particular team. And as I mentioned, there's Justin Schultz. Um, now, again, I don't know enough about any of these players. I haven't watched Eberly, Tolvenin, or Schultz enough over the last month or two to really mm. have a good take on them. But uh, Tolvanen got my attention as well with his
1: shot, man. He was
0: hammering the puck tonight.
1: Um, yeah. Well, Everly, before... Uh, last year, he had 63 points. Very good year. And so the whole Seattle team had a good year last year, as you will recall. And uh, he was one of the leaders of the pack. This year, he had a slow start, and he, had, he was dealing with some injuries. And he had a whole lot of games with zeros on him early in the year. And then... Since game, for him, game 35 uh, through today, which would be 56. So his last 22 games, 10 goals, 9 assists, plus 13. And we saw why today, because he's on top of his game right now. Making stuff happen, making scoring chances. And just today, not finishing him. But sure it sure wasn't for lack of trying. He'll be very frustrated. of That game was zero points.
0: And something here, it's a natural stat trick. So Bushnevich, what's he got? Two point two six points per sixty, which is really good. If you're mm-hmm. above two points per sixty, you're you're generally speaking a top six uh, forward when it comes to scoring. So he's 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 having a good run. And when we look at Eberly, is at. 2.08. So he's not that far behind Bushnevich. Mm-hmm. And he had a. This is over the last two years, I should say.
1: Right. Because, okay. Um,
0: and Tarasenko is right there as well. He's almost exactly tied with Everly. He's at 2.09. Mm-hmm. And um, who else are we hearing about? Oh, yeah. Gensel. Right. Um, Gensel is at. 2.12, so he's he's essentially tied with Eberly and, um, mm-hmm. and he, he, the cost of Gensel is going to be considerably more than Eberly or um, Tarasenko, yeah. but his even strength point scoring is almost the same, and let's look at Tolvanen. Tolvanen is at 1.76, so he's a bit below those guys he's um it's not in that that um he's right on the edge of being kind of a top six he's that's a third lines kind of scoring um number a good third line scoring number for for elite tolvan and anyway there's i've often said that the player holland acquires may be someone unexpected no. and you know everyone's talking about we've heard the same names a lot but maybe it's going to be justin schultz and Ubi Tolvin and. You know that kind of thing. It could shock everybody and be something like that, as opposed to. You know, I don't think so. I don't think Justin Schultz is going to be the guy that they'll they'll target. But Tolvin and I mean, if they could get him, they I'm sure they'd be happy to get him.
1: Yeah. Well, Bushnevich, that's uh, popular in many circles. Uh, his, I mean, it's a good thing in a way, but not good in another. He's got a year to run on his contract at five point eight million dollars. Which means two things that retention, primary retention from the trading team is going to be costlier. They're not just paying a few dollars down the stretch of the season. Uh, They're paying not only dollars next season, but also dead cap next season, which is a huge consideration. And so the second tough thing is uh, to get a third party involved, you have to convince them to take on dead cap for next season, which is a whole different equation than just asking the team That well. you got space on your cap. You're going nowhere. You eat this quarter of this guy's contract and we'll give you a pick. Well, now we're going to give you a pick, but we might eat it, the quarter of his contract for this year, plus all of next year. And, you know, that's like one, one and a almost one and a half million for the third party. I mean, Who's going to want to do that? So, you know, that 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 much as he might be a desirable player. And the other issue is St. Louis is right in the playoff hunt. Why would they want to trade him? I mean, he's sort of name that's come up. And if, in fact, St. Louis is shopping the guy with a year plus on his contract and 24 goals this season, then you want to. Do some due diligence as to why the heck are they shopping this guy when you know they've got him under contract going forward and he's you know key member of their top six so i think the rental the rental makes more sense in terms of costing less for to acquire the guy and costing way less to get retention if it's needed which on these five million dollar contracts like tarasenko or everly you would obviously need uh at least the trading team to retain and probably a third party to, to get involved and retain more.
0: Brock Nelson of the Islanders last two years, 2.4 points per 60.
1: Yeah. He's, yeah. He's really blossomed into a strong player. What's his contract situation?
0: I'm just going to check that New York Islanders. Um, Yeah. So there's, there's all kinds of players that I, I think, there's lots of been talked about a lot, mm-hmm. and maybe you know, but maybe it'll be some. I think Nelson. Oh, nuts! No, Nelson's got another two years. It's he's got one more year at six million dollars. Yeah. So that takes him right it's off an the market situation. Basically, it, yeah. There's no yeah. way the orders are going to. Well, last
1: be, year though, I mean, for all the talk there was, like there always is this time of year. How many people were were. Uh, tipping Matthias Ekholm and the three years left on his contract as being the target.
0: Well, a lot of people couldn't believe that Tyson Berry might be traded Bruce like last year Mm -hmm. at this time. They just couldn't imagine that was going to happen. And boom, it did. Now, um, yeah, on the Islanders, for instance, there's no expiring contract except for Cal Clutterbuck, 1.7 million, and Matt Martin, 1.5
1: million. They're Islanders lifers at this point. Yeah, I can't
0: Thank see, can't see the Islanders uh, making a move unless there's a team like some team might try to acquire Brock Nelson, but they're going to have to have a lot of cap space. I mean, the owners in theory, I mean, who who could they give up? Like, that would make that work? Like Cody Ceci and and another bigger contract, and
1: yeah. How can they compete against Vegas? for instance, who have Mark Stone on LTIR and all of a sudden cap is not an issue. They can add a guy and they don't have to pay for retention. They don't have to go to a third party for retention. Vegas can just say, send me your $5 million player and then send us another one because we got 9.5 million sitting on LTIR and you don't have this cap crunch at all there. So, you know, they're in a advantageous position, go figure.
0: I, I love the verbal coming out of Vegas, and I don't know who said this, but it was like Mark Stone who's going on LTIR and may come back at some point in the playoffs. Yeah, like
1: April yeah. 19th. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. Well, it's, you, you know, yeah, the, the, the day that they play the Edmonton Oilers in the whatever round it is, Game
1: one. So yeah.
0: suddenly Mark Stone is back and, in and the lineup. And
1: uh, uh, we're right to be cynical. Like, I'm not going to apologize right. for being cynical. Yeah. Uh, but in the case of Mark Stone, from sounds of it, and let's say it's all made up out of a whole cloth. I mean, if he's got a lacerated spleen, he's hurt. You know, it's not like they're saying, well, we're going we're gonna to hide you on LTRR from a week before the trade deadline when you conveniently get hurt so we can replace all of your salary with incoming trades. Uh, I mean, he legitimately got hurt, and there's every reason to think he won't be ready to go for the start of the playoffs, but at whatever point he comes back, they'll have him and plus the guys they replaced him with the way they did last year with the uh, barbershop.
0: I'm completely cynical about it. I, I <laughs> really am.
1: It's, it's I think worked. they
0: picked an injury. Okay, what injury can we concoct where there's no really easy way, where it's easy to fake and you could. it would be very hard to prove that he didn't have it.
1: Lacerated like, spleen. Lacer. Lacerate, let's go down be, the list. It must be some kind of medical.
0: They got on their old Google results. machine and they um and they oh. uh, <laughs> they did the, yeah. they studied
1: perfect like lacerated that.
0: spleen. No, it, I mean if he really has it, I mean I take it all back. But I'm just I'm just
1: no, but we're entirely
0: yeah, I, skeptical of Las Vegas. So is point.
1: much of hockey world yeah. skeptical at this point. Haven't seen Chicago. Uh, pull it off with Patrick Kane years back and then seeing, uh, of course, Tampa with Kucherov who missed the entire season was ready to go at like 150% for game one of the playoffs. That was gross. And then uh, this last year with Stone and his back, which magically got better just in time for game one of the playoffs.
0: I think I saw recently, like, there was a headline from, I think it was from the New York Post, one of the American tabloids, like it, and it showed this woman shooting a basketball, and it's like, um, Mom loses her permanent disability payments because she wins free throw shooting competition. <laughs> <laughs> and in the background shooting hoops, pumping up those three-pointers was Mark uh-huh. Stone. Yeah, that's surprising <laughs> me. I was surprised to see that, but there Took he was. Took the
1: neck brace off, and all of a sudden he's...
0: Yeah, hoisted him, <laughs> hoisted him. Yeah. All right, Bruce, you are writing the game grades.
1: I'm writing, about to write the game grades. Okay. About.
0: All right. Well, we'll let you get at it. Uh, thanks for right. talking tonight, Bruce.
1: Yeah. Thanks for listening, everyone.
0: And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.